0: To 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 Welcome to the Grief James Podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Great to have you guys here listening to us uh, on this beautiful day. And uh, again, wanted to say thank you guys for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we hope you like this episode. On today's podcast, we have with us Patricia de Pachoto And she was born in Hong Kong from Lebanese parents and raised in Geneva, Switzerland until she graduated from college with a BA in marketing and communications. She then spent a couple of years in London, graduating as a gemologist and working in jewelry. She then lived in Brazil for 10 years where she met her husband, had three kids and founded a jewelry line, Pasha Jewelry. She then moved to New York with her family where she became an art guide in the city. Since her mother's passing after a two-year battle with pancreatic cancer, she has been dedicated to normalizing grief and raising consciousness through social media online. Patricia, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's exciting to get to talk with you
2: because you posted about a grief dream you had a little while ago, and that's how I noticed your page and what you do. And I think it's amazing on what you're doing, and you're also doing some interviews also yourself. So uh, hopefully it's, uh, you're you're excited to be on the other end of uh, an interview.
1: (laughs) I do. I actually, I've been doing many podcasts already. I think I had five and I recorded one yesterday, one today. So it's pretty exciting to be able to talk, you know, about grief. I was never in this position until nine months ago. And it's only after I lost my mom that I realized how not Spoken enough, it was, and how we need to normalize grief because it, you know, you reach a point where it gets very lonely. And after a few weeks, you know, even your own friends and family start forgetting about your situation and your loss. So I really felt the need to talk more about grief. That's why I connect with people who also went through all types of losses on Instagram. And I had already 25 lives. I only created this account actually three months ago, but it's been you know it it's been pretty successful in the way that people want to share their story. they actually want their grief to be witnessed, they want their pain to be acknowledged, so it's nice to be able to give you know the voice to to mourners
2: yeah, and I'm excited to sort of maybe hear more about about your loss, but before that, I want I, Listening to that bio of yours, you've uh, lived in a lot of different places. Which one, is, which one is your favorite one so far?
1: <laughs> well, you know what's funny? Even when I have to write my bio or when I send my bio to someone, or when I listen to my bio, I'm like, whoa! even for me, it's complicated to, to figure this out. So my parents were Lebanese. They had to you know, leave Lebanon during the war at the end of the 70s, and they moved to Hong Kong where my dad was working. And this is where I was born. So I don't have many memories because we left Hong Kong. I was pretty young. But I did spend 20 years in Geneva, Switzerland. So I think Geneva is home for me because this is where I had all my childhood, teenage years. I went to school there. I went to college. My sisters still live there and my dad still live there. So I think it's home for me. Geneva will always be home for me, even though I haven't lived there in the past. 17 years, I considered Geneva to be my hometown and After college I left to London for a few years because I wanted to become a graduate gemologist So I spent a couple of years there uh, Graduated worked a little bit and then in the meantime my mother had uh, remarried to a man in Brazil so she had moved to Sao Paulo and because I was always very, very close to my mom, I thought I would just, you know, take the opportunity to go and be with her for six months and learn a new language, and you know, learn Portuguese, put this on my, put this on my CV. And I decided, you know, to to take the chance to have, you know, a little break. And when I moved to Brazil, I met my husband. I mean, he, we met pretty quickly, but I, we only got married two years and a half after. But I decided to stay in Brazil, and I decided to live by my mom. And until and so today, I'm extremely grateful that I was able to have those extra ten years with her, living in the same city. Because now that she's gone, I realize how fortunate I was to be able to have those years with her, and having her by my side during, you know, my wedding, my kid's birth. Um, I had this jewelry line, and she was always going with me to you know, to the shows, to the stores. She was by my side all the time during those 10 years. So it's great. And then five years ago, five years and a half ago, we decided to move to New York for my husband's business. And when I moved to New York, I saw an opportunity to go back to something that I really loved before that was art history. So I started studying again, uh, studying again, And I realized how many museums and galleries there were in New York. And because I speak three languages, I speak French, Portuguese, and English, I thought it would be a good idea to offer um, art tours in galleries and in museums.
2: That's so interesting to hear that you're able to live with your mom and then also start that jewelry line there. So what what was her opinion of you moving down there with her?
1: She was so happy. She was so happy because when she left me, I mean, it sounds a little bit harsh to say when she left me because I was already 19. But when she met her second husband and decided to, to you know, to move to Brazil, you know, it was hard for her. But I was like, Mom, I'm, you know, I'm an adult. I'm 19. I was in my second year of college. I was almost like excited to be living on my own, you know, in Geneva and have like the family apartment just for me and and being more independent. So when she left to Brazil, you know, I really reassured her. I told her, you know, you can go, I'll be fine, don't worry. But then after a few years, I realized how much I miss her. And for me, moving to Brazil seemed impossible because I didn't speak Portuguese. I was just out of college. And I thought, how am I gonna go to Brazil, find a job, you know, learn a language? Everything seemed totally impossible. So, you know, I just took a baby step and I'm like, okay, step one, I'm going to go there for six months, see if I like it, see if I can learn a new language in six months, and then we'll see. So, I think she made everything, you know, she could at the beginning to, you know, to make my life very easy and pleasurable because she wanted me to stay. I ended up staying probably more because I had met my husband, who was my boyfriend at that time, and, you know, I wanted to take a chance. I didn't want to go back to London anymore and and leave him, but definitely the fact that I had my mom was a big plus because I don't think I would have stayed, even for a boyfriend, I don't think I would have stayed in a foreign country on the other side of the world, different language, different culture, you know, different habits everything so it it really helped to have her and she was so happy that i wanted to stay so i took this uh, portuguese class for six months then i extended it for another six months and then i had to take a decision am i going back to europe or am i staying and because of my mom because of my boyfriend at that time i ended up staying and i think that was definitely one of the best decisions i could have taken
0: Seems like uh, culturally, those three countries are very different, you know, going from Switzerland to very. Brazil to New York. How did that change you, going from those three different places?
1: You just learn to adapt. First, going to Geneva, which is a very small city, to London, you have to adapt to a bigger city, you know, like taking, you know, the subway, just everything's bigger, right? So that was the first, you know, move I had to take and then going from London, London and Geneva where everything's on time and everything's pretty safe, you know, to Sao Paulo, which is a huge city and not very safe, a lot of crime, people are not as respectful maybe as uh, schedules and time. I really had to adapt, you know, and also different culture, different language, you have to make yourself understood by other people which is tough because for me moving to Geneva from Geneva to London was okay I spoke English but going from London to Sao Paulo it's really like learning a whole new culture and a whole new language and then going from New York to you know from Sao Paulo to New York was actually pretty easy because although New York is a major city it's definitely not as big as Sao Paulo you can walk everywhere you take the subway it feels pretty safe so so far I think that you know I really enjoyed my experience in New York and I didn't miss Sao Paulo that much because my experience in New York is great and I felt very safe there
0: ah, that's excellent and and also I would imagine that New York is a very multicultural city a lot like uh, Toronto and probably similar to London
1: Yeah. And Geneva, because so Geneva is like this mini city there's only maybe five hundred thousand people,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but somehow over fifty percent are expats or international it's a very, very, very international city. so oh wow, the school where I enrolled my kids in New York is also an international school, and I studied in an international school, so I think it was important for me to expose the kids to so many you know cultures and and nationalities so definitely london geneva and new york are international uh, cities.
0: yeah that's wow that's wonderful you know you're an international woman and uh it might as well you know have your kids used to that as well <laughs> let's talk about your transition into art what are what were some of your favorite uh maybe museums or galleries in new york
1: so i live not too far from the metropolitan museum so that was definitely you know the first museum where I had a membership and I remember the first week I moved there I already took my son and then you know I was so excited to to go to the rooftop and see the view of the city and be able to go every week because I had my membership so I took this very seriously then of course I I went to the MoMA a lot to the Whitney but what I most loved about New York is that uh the city has neighborhoods where you have galleries so you have chelsea for example that has like the 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 most important galleries but you also have the lower east side you have tribeca so you have different you know artistic neighborhoods and this is what i wanted to explore and when i went back to my studies in art history i realized that the city is always evolving there's always something to see there's always you know a show going on there's you know always an artist to discover and even when you live there i mean it's overwhelming because some neighborhoods have over 300 galleries so i thought to myself maybe i can be the curator who's gonna you know bring people in to only see 10 shows or eight galleries and that can be very helpful because it is intimidating you know when you first go to this neighborhood. And even if you take the guide that they give you in gallery, you're like, where am I going? Which shows should I see? And of course you can go online and, you know, try to check what's going on and what are the artists represented, but it's a lot of information. So what I wanted to do was really to curate an art experience, to take people to that neighborhood and say, okay, we're going to see eight shows. These are the artists that we're going to see. And then give information about their bio, their work, their life. And it, it, it was a great experience because I was able to do it in three languages. So even if I had tourists coming to New York, you know, I was able to speak to them in their own language, because sometimes, you know, you go to a museum, and if you have to take the tour in English, but English is not, you know, your, your mother tongue, then it can be hard to understand. So that, that was really a great experience I had in art in new york unfortunately i had to stop last summer because my mother was getting pretty sick and i decided i was going to go back and forth to sao paulo all the time and after her passing i was not able to go back to work immediately and then COVID started so everything you know the pandemic started I'm losing hope that I'll be able to go back towards this year. Because even though museums are reopening, they're reopening only at 25% capacity, and galleries are not going to allow any groups. You have to respect social distancing, so it's going to be tough to be able to offer those kind of experiences this year.
2: Wow, well, yeah, that, that's hard. And it's hard to sort of hear about the how the pandemic is affecting. Uh, your lifestyle and you said like you enjoy doing what you do and talking to people and teaching them about an area that a lot of people are ign- ignorant in I know I don't know much about much of the the art in different galleries and stuff and I would need someone like you to really explain it and get a, get me excited about it you know yeah. I remember my my dad used to always take us to like art galleries like in Canada on any kind of like family trip and I thought he was just doing it because it was free. <laughs> and there was four kids. So it was a way to cut the budget. But like, I never really got into it because I didn't really understand what I was looking at. And now, yeah. now I appreciate it more because I know there's so much history based upon what I'm looking at and why they did what they did. And so I'm curious for you, what's your, what's your favorite artist and that you've sort of come across so far? Uh,
1: there was a Chinese artist so this is something about me. I'm the opposite of a hoarder. I'm super organized. There's like nothing on my desk. You know, you come to my apartment, it's all monochromatic. But somehow in art, I love accumulation. I think everything that I don't accumulate in real life, I love accumulation in art. So that means like accumulation of painting. Sometimes it's accumulation of objects. So I came across this Chinese artist called Xu Zhen, and he makes those painting where he accumulates like big, big, big chunk of paint. I mean, it's hard to describe, you have to visually see it, but this is what I like. And then um, who, who else did I enjoy recently? And it's been a while, it's been like a year since I last went to a gallery. But yeah, I saw uh, Yayoi Kusama also. Queen of Accumulation. She puts all the dots uh, in her art. And who else did I see? I don't know. It's been a blur. I think my my brain is a bit, you know, foggy because <laughs> literally last time I went to an art show was last September. I went to an art fair in Chicago, and then I had to, you know, just go to Sao Paulo and 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 stay there and go back and forth. So I haven't seen art in a while. I've tried to look at art now online and it's definitely not the same experience. I've tried to do the art series online. I've tried to go on some galleries website, you know, to see what they're presenting, but it's, it's not the same experience when you see an artwork on your screen than when you see it, you know, in person. Not the same emotion.
0: Yeah, I I totally understand that. It's it's a, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sensory things to take in in a in a museum and in a show. I remember a couple years ago I went to go I to Toronto. They had um an exhibition. I think his name is Jean-Michel Basquiat. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that Yeah. Yeah, I think he's from New York. He I think. was but, um, from New
1: York?
2: Yeah.
0: yeah, fantastic. Like incredible. Like you go in and, you know, it's done up. You've got all these beautiful paintings and works and the color that he uses. But also the people that are around you, that's, that's, that seems like a part of the experience. And, and you know, everybody's got, you know, they're, they're taking a look, they're observing. Um, I think the whole thing is, is just a, a lovely experience. And that was uh, one of uh, a few that I've gone to, but that really made me appreciate going to a show.
1: And you wanna see the texture, you wanna be able to see maybe the brush strokes and the size, the dimension, the texture. You wanna be able to really look at the details. Like it's another emotion to to see something on screen where it's hard to identify, you know, all the details of the painting than seeing it in real life. And I think with art, you need to have this, you know, gut sensation. Like it has to provoke something in you. So it's a little bit harder to get this from, you know, an online viewing. I think it's something that you need to witness in person.
2: And I'm uh interested too on on having to go uh go see your mom and what that experience was like. Did she you know there's some moms out there that would say, No, no, stay where you are. I'm I'm okay. You know, because like, they they care so much about you and your dreams and your work and yeah. stuff like that. Um, how was she? Was she saying that? Or was she say, Conal, come, come here stay with me. and you you. Like what no, was going no. on? She <laughs>
1: would say this, but then, so, so she was sick for almost two years. Before that, her husband was sick. So crazy story. I live for New York on March 12, 2015. And on March 11th, her husband was diagnosed with colon cancer. So literally the day I was leaving to New York, I was moving. She my mother was already so sad to let us go. And, you know, I was going away with the three kids. She used to see my kids all the time. And all of a sudden, you know, we were moving so far away. So she was already desperate. But ironically, that day her husband was diagnosed with colon cancer. So she had to leave the hospital and come to our house to say goodbye before we left to the airport. So it was really, really hard goodbyes. Like, these were really sad. But then I also had to do a lot of back and forth when her husband was sick because she was her primary caretaker, and it was a lot on her. So we used to go during uh, vacation, the school vacation, so that was fine. But many times, if he had to be hospitalized and I didn't want my mom to be, you know, alone with him or alone at home, I would go to Brazil. So I have to say that my husband for the past, you know, five years was extremely supportive. Many times I had to, you know, to leave on the same day, like something happened that day and I had to leave the same night to Brazil and take the overnight flight and and get to Sao Paulo. So for sure, my mom, you know, she would always say, no, don't come, stay with your kids, stay with your husband, they need you. And I'm like, yes, they need me, but they also need to understand that, you know, I'm, I'm your daughter. I know I'm someone's mother, I'm someone's wife, but I'm still your daughter. And for me, it was very important to, you know, be there for her, not only when she was sick, but when her husband was sick. So I have to say that it was five years of a lot of back and forth. And at the end, I don't regret any of the decision. I think that the kids learned that, you know, you have to be there for your parents. You have to be there for your family. And definitely because I was working for myself, I was able to take this time off. And that's probably also one of the reasons I decided to go into Um, art and being an art guide because I knew I would be able to do my own schedule and have this flexibility because really from the start since day one I knew that her husband was sick and then she was sick so I was not able to go work for someone and had very strict schedule because I wanted to have the opportunity to you know live when she needed me But definitely, every time she used to say, no, no, don't come, don't come. And then an hour later, I would book a ticket and I'm like, no, no, I'm coming. And at the end, I know she was grateful because although she would say, don't come, you know, it's very different when you have someone that can, you know, share the decision taking. And my sisters, they were in Geneva. They were also able to go, but the difference between them and me, is that I speak Portuguese and they don't. So I'm not going to say that I was the decision maker, but I was the one who was always always able to speak with the doctors, speak with the nurses, speak with the lawyer. So it it was important for my mom to have me by her side during those moments.
2: And so did her husband die before or is he still alive?
1: He did. So her husband, fortunately, um, on December 2017, he had his last surgery, and they realized that there was nothing else they could do because there were too many metastases in his lungs. So they told him, it's either we're going to do an extremely aggressive chemo, and maybe, you know, maybe you'll have a few more months to leave. But your quality of life will be terrible, of course, because you'll have all the the effects of the chemo, or you know, we just wait, wait and see. So, by December 2017, my mom knew that you know she was going to become a widow and that there was nothing else that they could do for him, and she was already his primary caretaker. But on January 12, 2018, she discovered that she had pancreatic cancer. So, those six months between, you know, his diagnosis and her diagnosis were extremely difficult because she wanted to fight and live, you know, for herself, like to be able to have a long life. But, you know, on the other side, they knew that he was not going to make it, but they didn't know how long he had to live. So it was a a, a period of a lot of anxiety. And I was far away Uh, when my mother had her first surgery in january 2018 i left for three weeks Uh, i spent the whole time with her at the hospital my husband stayed here with the kids and you know i was able to be by her side all through her surgery and then the beginning of her treatment but it was you know it's bittersweet because You see that she has a chance maybe to live and he doesn't. And he wanted to take care of her, her husband, but he was not able to do it. It was tough. And then when he started feeling really sick by June, July 2018, this is where I started spending even more time in Brazil because now I had the anxiety to have a mom who was sick and who was going to become a widow. So, for two years between January two thousand and eighteen till November two thousand and nineteen, I think my life was really in function of my mom, and I would spend all the you know school vacation in Brazil. I would go a lot to be by her side when she had her scans and her treatment. My sisters would go as well, but as I said, because I was the one you know speaking Portuguese, I was able to really you know, be part of the treatment, speak to the doctor, uh, make some decision. When her husband passed, you know, I was with her all the way for five weeks, two weeks before and then three weeks after his passing, because she needed so much help with the lawyers and with the funeral and with all the paperwork, you know. Before you lose someone, you have no idea how many things you have to sort after you know someone's death and how many decisions and i i really needed to be there for her and i wanted to be there for her and even though she was like no it's the summer stay with your kids i'm like no no i'm coming so every time i would be the one to you know book a ticket and then tell her okay my ticket is booked i'm coming so she wouldn't have you know much to say about trying to convince me not to come but yeah definitely she always wanted to put you know a brave face and say no don't worry I'll take care of this I'll be fine I can do it but I spent so many years just with me and my mom because my parents got a divorce I'm the youngest of three siblings so I spent many 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 years just me and mom so for me it was hard to be away and it was hard to not be able to you know be by her side so I would always go
2: well that's nice you had that opportunity to be with her as yeah. as she was trying to deal with her grief and also her diagnosis at the same time. That that's a lot. That's so much to handle. But I'm it's glad a lot. Had, I'm glad she had some support with uh with, with you anyways. And so what was it like when she finally did die uh, for you? And was there any cultural differences or or complications based on that that maybe your family wanted that you know maybe she didn't want and vice versa because I know like different cultures mourn differently.
1: For her funeral. Yeah. So we're Jewish, so we really decided to follow the Jewish tradition. So there's, you know, it's you. The the funeral is the day right after someone's passing. Usually, you have to be buried in twenty four hours. You are buried usually cremation is not allowed in judaism it really depends how observant you are but in my mother's case you know i knew she wanted to do it exactly as the tradition so she passed on a friday night so saturday is shabbat which is the day of resting in judaism so we don't bury people on that day so she was buried on sunday and right after the funeral it It's um, a week of prayer called Shiva, where people sit in um, the person's house. So in this case, it was my mom's house. And you have people coming and visiting for a week. You know, they come, they pay their respect, they pay their condolences, and they pray twice a day. So Shiva lasts for a week. Then after a week, you have prayers at the cemetery. And then after a month, you have another memorial. So the decisions were easy to take in that sense because we just follow, you know, we follow the rules. We follow the traditions.
2: Oh, that's interesting. And so I'm glad that that wasn't an issue because I could see it being an issue with some families when it comes to different cultures. But that was not an issue.
1: And when my stepfather passed, so a year and a half before her, it's crazy because he passed on a Saturday night and Sunday morning at 9 a.m we had to be at cemetery, my mom and I, to choose a lot for his graveyard. So for me, it was very traumatic because I I couldn't understand how you can lose someone. And in a few hours, you already have to take so many decisions. Like you don't have time to grieve that you're already like choosing a graveyard. You're already trying to, you know, find a, a spot in the cemetery that you would like your husband to be buried. So basically that day I was with her and she chose a spot that she liked, and the spot next to him was was empty. That's why she chose it, and she told me, if anything happened to me, this is where I want to be buried. So a few days before her passing, when she was already unconscious, we just paid for that spot. That was kind of reserved for her, and that was already one decision that she had taken, And then when he passed away, she had to choose his headstone, which is also a big decision to make, you know, right after someone's passing, like a few weeks into your grief. But two days also before her passing, she told me, I want a headstone that matches his headstone. So she kind of, you know, took those decisions for us. So she had chosen her, you know, her graveyard, she had chosen her, her headstone, so I knew that, and I really respected her wishes, her last wishes.
2: Well, that's nice you had that conversation together, because then, yeah, yeah, it makes it so much easier, right?
1: <laughs> it does. I mean, you don't always have, you know, the opportunity to have this conversation. But unfortunately, three weeks before her passing, the doctors came and told us that there was nothing else they could do, and that we needed to prepare and call my family. So... I called my sisters, they came, and then her sister also came, she's from Canada. So we were able to, you know, have a few days left with her, and I also pulled out my kids out of school. I spoke to the school, to the directors, to all my kids' teachers, and I told them, this is what's happening. Um, My mother has a few days or a few weeks left. I'm not sure she has more than, you know, a few months. But... One thing that is for sure is that I want to be able to be here without, you know, feeling guilty of being here and leaving my kids with my husband, you know, to be responsible for everything. I want to be able to be fully present in Brazil without having to worry about my kids 10,000 miles away. And I want them to be able to say goodbye. So I pulled my kids out of school for three weeks and they came with my husband. We spent the last week with her and they stayed for the Shiva, which is the week after the funeral and then we all came back to new york so we really had you know the chance to to say goodbye and to be with her so in a way it's probably the worst thing you can ever hear when a doctor comes and say there's nothing left for her like there's no treatment no surgery there's really nothing we can do but at least it gives you the opportunity to have those conversation and to enjoy the last days and to try to have all those difficult conversations that you would not have if, you know, if she was alive and healthy.
2: I'm curious. I know you had some dreams of her. Did any of them occur during the Shiva? Because I think that'd be a very um, I have interesting...
1: so many dreams. So I'm glad we're, we're talking about the dream. So my first dream after they told me that she was going to pass I woke up in the middle of the night in my dream and it was 3 a.m. And I asked her, where's my mom? The room was empty. She's like, but she passed. I'm like, no, it's impossible. It's like 3 a.m. I just left. Like she was here. She's like, no, she passed at 2.22 a.m. So that was crazy because now I was expecting my mom to pass at 2.22 or at 22.22, but you know, I was expecting something to happen with the twenty-two, and she ended up passing on eleven twenty-two, which in numerology is still two twenty-two because eleven turns into a two. So I—that ha- was the first dream I had, and then that's, uh, hold on, Easter, hold on, hold yeah. on,
2: <laughs> slow it down. <laughs> that's crazy, right? Yeah, that is very interesting. So, what did you, or how do you see that dream now when you look back on it?
1: So now, for me. 222 is a sign like even my husband sometimes not sometimes very often you know we see we look at the watch and it's 222 or it's 2222 or it's 1222 or you know just the 2 and the 22 became a sign for us and for me I wanted to believe that this is a sign that she gave me before passing because I never had this conversation with her actually I never asked her like which kind of sign are you gonna you know you're gonna give me when you won't be here because I never thought about signs before she passed but this 222 became very symbolic and then she passed on 1122 and if you look at numerology 11 equals 2 so she kind of passed on 222 so it became part of her you know now on the other side and every time i see a 2 or 22 or two twenty-two, i just take it as a sign from her
2: that's that's pretty cool how your continuing bond is now based on numbers where maybe other people it's not and so it's just like those moments yeah through a dream has really impacted how you stay connected with her now that's so interesting
1: and then during shiva um what happened? So my mom passed on a Friday night. So Friday, Saturday, I don't remember dreaming about her. But the entire week from Sunday to Sunday, I had dreams every single night. And every single night, there were different scenarios of her dying. So either she was, you know, dying and I was in the hospital cafeteria and they were calling me to go upstairs Or, you know, I was having a burger at Burger King near the hospital, and they called me to say your mother had passed. So every night I had those different scenarios of her, you know, dying and seeing her the way she was at the end. So sick, very skinny, uh, no hair, uh, really, you know, dying. And on the seventh day, that Sunday morning, it's a week after her funeral. I dream of her and she was standing by her hospital bed and she was wearing the hospital gown, but she had hair. She was skinny, but not, you know, sick skinny. She was normal. Her appearance was normal. She was not wearing makeup, but she had some hair. She looked good. And I looked at her and I'm like, what are you doing? You cannot be, you know, standing by your, you know, by yourself. Like you need help. You need to go somewhere and she's like no i'm fine i'm not in pain anymore i'm totally fine and i woke up and for me that was you know her telling me that she had crossed because for the first time after a week i was finally dreaming of her you know not sick i mean she was still in the hospital but her appearance was normal and she had hair and she was standing up which she wasn't able to do in the last you know two three months before before dying and she was just telling me that she was fine now that she was not in pain anymore and that she was in peace and this is when i really started you know believing in those dreams because i imagined that for the first week of the shiva when i was dreaming of her dying that was just the trauma of being with her in her last moment and that this dream might happen over and over again because seeing her last breath was very traumatic. Although I wanted to stay and I wanted to be with her, it's still an image that, you know, will stay with you for the rest of your life. But after that day, I never saw my mother sick again in a dream, never. And I've been dreaming of her so much. And after that day she was never sick. She always had a normal appearance. Sometimes she's you know, she's she's dead in my dream and I know it. Sometimes she's alive. But she always has this, what I would say, like normal appearance. So that's her non-shake with cancer appearance.
2: Wow, that's so interesting. It's so, it's so interesting how your dreams have changed and never went back. I'm curious because that's like the whole part of the, the Shiva is the seven seven days right of mourning. What what was the changes within you through that? Because you would think that with for a culture to or a religion to do that, there must have been some significance in providing that as a quote-unquote rule so did you see any changes in yourself because you see the changes in your dreams but did you see anything in yourself that shifted within that seven days
1: you know i have to say that during shiva i was so drained and exhausted because you're sitting i mean the whole day you're sitting so you're supposed to you know sit Shiva. you're sitting almost on the floor or on a very low sofa and the reason behind shiva is that they really believe that your grief needs to be witnessed and you need to be supported and you need to have the community around you. So you do get this support, although it's a bit of a lack of privacy because you're not really able to be, you know, in your room crying or desperate or you're not in your bubble. You know, you have to be sitting in front of everyone in a living room and people come to you and, you know, they come and talk to you. Of course, they want to be nice and they want to say nice words and try to remember you know some memories of your mom but it's exhausting because you're carrying the weight of your own sadness of the loss and then you have to carry the energy of those people coming to visit you but they're bringing also a part of their sadness so I was drained and I decided to have reiki every single day during that week so every morning before going to my mother's house to see Shiva, I would do a Reiki session at home just because I needed the energy. And I think this made a big difference because during the session of Reiki, I would see my mom. And what the Reiki master was trying to do with me was really to let her go. Because even in Judaism, they say that for the first week, the soul is in between. It's not on earth, but it's not in heaven. It's really In between both worlds, so it's only on the seventh day that they do cross to go to the other world. So for me, seeing her that day, telling me that she was fine and she was not in pain, really confirmed that she had crossed. And it's not as if I had, you know, believed before that in another world or in heaven. I never even, you know, questioned, you know, what happened after loss. I never had to. But that week in particular, because I was working with energy and I wanted to believe that my mom had became, you know, an energy and that she was around me all the time. So I think maybe this helped me more than the Shiva itself. And I know that the Shiva comes from best intention, you know, for millennials now. And it is to witness some uh, the grievous pain and to witness, you know, and support the family that is mourning. But I think that having those quiet moments where I was able to tap into my own energy and into my mom's energy helped me more than the Shiva and the prayers.
2: Wow, that is interesting, right? Because you're right, because there is that goal in there about being witnessed, but you're right, like how long is long enough? Because everyone has their own way of processing and if you're forcing someone to just sit there in front of people <laughs> they may become very uncomfortable and may actually impede their grief process a little bit because of that situation but like for you like just having that that time alone it seemed like was the most beneficial for you and instead of having that reiki too but the time alone really seemed to help you just sit with those emotions or allow them to go through you a little bit easier um in your own environment kind of thing so that that's so interesting cuz like i'm not jewish so i don't i don't fully understand the uh, the rituals but i'm really excited to to learn about them so that's why i was asking so after that so you you had those dreams of your mom did you start writing down these dreams at all or is this all just coming back from memory
1: so these dreams during that week i didn't write them down because they were too they were too sad like each time was a different scenario of her dying like there was not i mean for a week, there was nothing positive in the dream. It was always like saying goodbye, saying goodbye, saying goodbye. But after that dream, the dream of the seventh day, I, I started writing them. I actually started journaling because I needed to journal. I just needed to put all my emotions somewhere, you know? And, you know, as I said, Shiva is to support you and to witness your grief, but. Somehow, you don't go very deep into your emotion. Like people say, "Oh yeah, I'm sorry," but no one really asks, like, "How are you?" or "Listen to you." Like you're not into a therapy session. So I needed something more therapeutic. And also, when you have very public mourning like this, um, after the the mourning period is over, people kind of forget about your grief. They know you're grieving. They know you're sad. But it's not. You're not doing it publicly anymore so they tend to forget and very slowly after a week after a month you know i felt very forgotten and grief started to feel very lonely so for me journaling was a way to you know put all my emotions on paper and to be able to face my pain and face my grief i didn't want to ignore it i didn't want to find ways to numb it i really wanted to face it so writing down my grief journaling was very therapeutic for me so i used to do it in the morning i mean i i sometimes do it at night but when i journal in the morning the first thing i do is i write my dreams if i had dreams about my mom so that's how you know i remember all of those dreams because i have them on paper and now i also realize going through all the dreams that i should have you know had a notebook just for the dreams because i actually journal and write about my dreams but now i feel like i want to have a notebook just for the dreams. so it's a nice memory to have and to keep
2: so looking back at your your dream your journal and looking at all the dreams what other ones sort of stood out to you or were there ones that you maybe forgot and then you read it and you're like oh look at that's interesting i forgot about that one
1: so I had one dream that was very strong. So I, I dream about my mom a lot, but there are two kinds of dreams for me. First, there are the dreams where I have interactions with her. And then I have the dreams where we maybe don't speak or I don't remember having any interaction, but she's there. I can really feel her presence. Like I know she was in the dream. I know she was there. I could see her. I know how she was looking like, but I'm maybe... Maybe I didn't speak to her, or maybe I did, but I don't remember. So I have those two dreams, but I always write about them. But the first one that struck me is um, my mom had lost her mom when she was 44, and her mom was, I think, 74. And when she got sick and she became a widow, she was convinced that she would die like her mom. Like, I'm going to be a widow like my mom. I'm going to die from my cancer when I'll be 74. Like, you know, somehow she's starting comparing herself to her mom's face, you know? And what happened in this dream is we were at a friend of mine's house in Paris. His dad was a rabbi. And we were waiting to see, not his dad, but another rabbi. And my mom was there. And she had some friends around her. And even when we were in Brazil, we always used to go to some people's house to see the rabbi because, you know... My mom likes to get the blessing from the rabbi. She likes to get the prayers. So she has these things of like visiting rabbis. And we were there in this big apartment in Paris, an apartment that I had never been before. And she was talking to her friends. And she, she told her, you know, uh, I, could have, I could have been present to my son. To my my oldest son is called Edward. And she said I could have been present to Edward mitzvah because I would have been seventy-two years and a half because she was so convinced that she would only live until seventy-four that even in the dreams she was shocked that, you know, she was gone before that. And the first thing my mom told me when the doctor announced her that there was nothing else they could do, she asked me to, you know, be in the room and she looked at me and she's like, I'm not gonna be here for your son for mitzvah that's the first thing she told me and in that dream that's what came back you know she's like i i I could have been there i would only have been 72 years and a half like what happened you know and then i woke up but it's definitely something that came back in other dreams is Her not being present at my son's bar mitzvah. Somehow, it was almost like a goal for her to be able to live until she saw them having. So, bar mitzvah is something that you—it's a ceremony that you have when you're 13 years old in the Jewish tradition. And for my mom, it was important to be there for her own grandson. And unfortunately, she will she will not be able to be here. She'll be with us, you know, in energy, but not physically.
2: So it's so interesting how like that moment came back in that dream to sort of like yeah. re, re redo that conversation and say, look, I could have been, right? Like I really wanted to be there. Yeah. And that's just like it showcases her love and the meaning she put on that event. And you talk about, mm-hmm. you know, there's sometimes people talk about how those who are dying, there's these milestones that they try to reach before they, before they pass. And it seems like that was one of them for your, for your mother and so yeah it's that's a, that's a shame she couldn't see it from uh from where she was on here but uh it seems yeah. like she didn't she does notice in some way or some fashion <laughs> or energy notices in some way No, um, for that, sure. yeah so he had his bar mitzvah already.
1: no it's in oh here. not yet <laughs> that's why the, that's why the, the dream was random you know it's it's because it was the first thing she told me when she heard from the doctor that she was going you know, to die. And she's like, I'm not going to be there for his bar mitzvah. And then it came back in that dream. And it came back again and again in other dreams where, you know, I was supposed to organize the bar mitzvah. But I'm like, no, I'm too sad. I cannot do it. You're not here. But she was here. She was there in the dream. And she's like, no, you have to get dressed. You have to, to go to the party. You know, I'll get ready with you. So in those dreams, she was signaling me, even two years, you know, before it's actually gonna happen, that she'll be with me at that moment, and that, you know, I'll ha- even though I will be sad for her not to be present, I will have to make the effort of, you know, getting dressed and organize a party, and overcome that sadness that I have to be able to celebrate my son, and that she'll be here with us. So many times after that dream. I dreamed about I dreamed about my mom, you know, either getting ready with me for the bar mitzvah or organizing the party with me. It came back a few times already.
2: Oh, that's so interesting. So he hasn't had his bar mitzvah yet. How no. uh, how many more years in, until?
1: Um, almost two years, like a little, yeah.
2: Two more years.
1: Yes, two more. years. Oh
2: wow! So yeah, yeah. it will be an interesting moment in your in your grief process for that to happen it was like for me i uh when i graduated from my phd and it was 12 years since my dad died um that moment sparked up a lot of my grief because of everything i went through to get there it was more or less because of him he really pushed me on this journey with his death and so it's like it's it it was a shock for me because it's been so long i had those that deep crier for that those Mm -hmm. deep years but they they all came back with a, a moment an event and so you're going to have this event, and it's like working through those emotions at the same time as celebrating your yeah. son. And I,
1: and I have three sons, so, and my mother was very close to them, and each one of them's going to have a bar mitzvah. And I'm sure that multiple times in the next year, I'll, you know, I'll be going through waves of grief, and especially during you know, those family celebrations where she will be deeply, deeply missed. But they already came in my dreams.
2: <laughs> right, yeah. Have uh, you ever asked your children if they dream of your mom?
1: I did. And it's funny because two of my kids, they, they, they rarely remember their dreams. So, I don't know. They don't really remember what they dream about. Uh, my middle son dreams a little bit more. And sometimes he does tell me about dreams he had about my mom. But... You know, I don't always know if he dreamt about it or if it came straight from his imagination. But it's always nice to hear him, you know, telling me those stories.
2: I'm curious, too, since we're talking about this, did your mom ever have any dreams of her husband in that, those years before she died?
1: Uh, she had, she had, She actually, she had dreams, yeah. Oh. After she passed, after he passed, she had a dream where she was, I think, in a cemetery, uh, probably not where he was buried, but a cemetery, and she saw many rabbis, you know, crying. And after that, I remember she told me the story because she didn't know if they were crying because he, you know, was dead, or because that was a premonition about her own death. I remember that that was one of the only dreams she, she, she told me about because it shocked her. She's like, "What does it mean? You know, to see a rabbi crying? Why is he crying?" She she got she got really scared about her dreams.
2: Yeah, that's interesting, and it's it's interesting she she just brought it up because she didn't understand it. I think a lot of people they do keep a lot of these dreams hidden, um, just for yeah. their own, you know, it's their own. And I think she reasons. was
1: scared of her own mortality, you know why are they crying? Are they crying because she lost her husband, or are they crying because she will some she will she will die? That was before she was you know uh, diagnosed like as terminally ill, and I remember her getting very anxious about that dream:
2: yeah, with any kind of dreams that people look at, there is that uh, you can see some of the interpretation can be based on your fears. <laughs> Of what may happen in life, and that's just a moment where we can talk about that fear. So if it's dying, so let's talk about that, and what is it that you're afraid of, and you know, is there all that sort of stuff that goes along with processing your own mortality. Which you know, when anyone dies, that's one of the one of the things that really it sparks in you, especially if you're sitting with someone who is grieving, because like you, it's just the reality you may die, or someone close to you may be dying soon, and you know, like that's that's what i see when i when i see that is just like whatever it was like the the true meaning is one thing but it's what the person sort of interprets is the the thing that we need to talk about because if it is distressing well let's talk about that so it's not as distressing moving forward in life because that can really limit you in how you love if you're if you have these fears so interesting i'm glad you guys had a really beautiful you had a lot of conversation with each other and didn't seem like um, you had anything left to say and so i'm uh i'm curious now if you had a dream tonight of your mom what would that look like to you
1: the dreams i want to have tonight is a dream that had something to do with my day because then it will almost confirm that she's with me you know although she's not physically with me she's with me and she's seeing whatever i'm seeing and it hasn't happened yet i never had a dream where she talked to me about something that happened that day. So that would be, uh, I don't know, my dream dream, <laughs> to have her talking to me about something that happened. So, right. for example, on my birthday or on my kid's birthday or on my kid's graduation, before going to bed, I, I was really like praying. I'm like, please come to my dream. Come sing happy birthday. Say something. It never happened. So that would be something i would love to to feel the presence the full presence
2: so i'm guessing she may be uh so if you did have a dream tonight it may be about this podcast how cool
1: yeah. would that be <laughs> so that's the thing i would love for her to say oh you're, you were great doing your podcast or her telling me oh benjamin which is my youngest son was great today at playing tennis. I really wish, you know, she would just say something about the situation that happened today. And I think the dream that I had, and I tagged you on Instagram, was about my Instagram page because I had, you know, I had had this Instagram for three months. And then a few weeks ago I had this dream where we were traveling my mom, my stepfather, and my three kids. And when we arrived at the airport, I was, you know, picking up the luggage, and I took my mom's suitcase, and there was, like, a drawing on it. And I'm like, why does she have a drawing on her suitcase? So I look at the suitcase, and there was this drawing of a rainbow. But really, like, you could see it was drawn by a kid. It was not a picture of a rainbow. It was really a drawing of a rainbow, a kid's drawing. And I'm like, Mom, I don't think that's that's your suitcase you didn't have it growing on your suitcase so we looked at the name tag and on the name tag it was written Neshamad journey which is the name of my instagram account and that for the first time i kind of had this confirmation that she was seeing what i was doing you know that she she knew what i was you know what i was doing on my in my daily life and it it brought me a lot of comfort and you know Somehow, when I woke up that morning, I'm like, okay, I really hope she's proud of what I'm doing and how I'm dealing with my grief and her loss and her absence. And that was just a few days after I listened to your podcast on grief and mindfulness. That's why I tagged you and then I reached out.
2: Oh, no way. That's uh, It's cool to hear the story and how it all how yeah. I got tagged in that, in that, in that uh, post. So that's, uh, that's so interesting. And it's nice that there was a, a rainbow, not like a storm cloud <laughs> by, by the name. That, that's pretty cool. So I think this is a great moment to just, I think, touch on the Instagram account itself and what has that brought into your life and how has that changed your grief journey? Because I'm guessing now you're journaling for the public, basically, rather than just yourself.
1: Yeah. So what happened is that a few months into my grief, you know, we were in lockdown and I mean, as everyone else, we were very isolated and all my family was in Switzerland and travel bans, you know, starting to happen. I knew I I was not going to be able to see them for many, many months. And it just started to add, you know, to my grief, like the lockdown, COVID, being isolated, um, not having friends checking on me anymore, because I don't know if you remember, but in March, when it started, that all people were talking about was COVID, 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 the virus, the lockdown, the school closing. So my grief was totally forgotten. And by April, I was like, I was really starting to feel depressed, you know, and And I was like, I need to talk about, I need to talk about my mom. I need to talk about my grief. I couldn't find any, obviously, uh, in-person grief groups. So I started looking into online grief groups and I found one on Facebook. And it was so healing to be able to, you know, share my stories, tell, you know, the story of my mom, of her passing, of her cancer battle. And then I realized there were so many other motherless daughters that, you know, had gone through similar losses or even other people who went through other losses in life. But just connecting to people who could understand my grief and who cared about my grief was so helpful. And then in May, I just decided that I needed a place, not an online grief group with another 10,000 people, but my own space where I could just, you know, post pictures about my mom, talk about her, be able to follow other grief accounts and just, you know, vent about my grief and my sadness and my pain, you know, without having to, you know, call a friend or wait for someone to check on me. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And it happened organically. At the beginning, I was not expecting to, you know, start those lives. I just wanted to post some quotes and and some pictures of my mom. And and then, you know, I just remembered being on this online grief group and sharing and how healing it was to share. And I started reaching out to other griefs in town. And I'm like, do you think you would like to share your story and talk about your loss and how you coped with grief? And it started, and now, after two months of having lives, I already had 25 lives on Instagram. I've recorded five podcasts. So it's been very therapeutic for me to be able to talk about it. I realize that I'm dealing with my loss the same way, you know, I dealt with so many things in life. I need to talk about it. I need to face it. I, I don't want to numb it. I don't want to ignore it. So being able to talk to other people and help other people open up about their grief was very important for me and it's it's been i mean it's only been three months but somehow you know i i have this amazing feedback of people who even had lost you know a parent years ago and they're like thank you i was you know I was never able to talk about my grief like this and it's liberating. And for me, it's actually been very liberating to be able to share openly about about my mother's passing.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. And uh, I really like that. I think that's the beautiful, positive things about the Internet and being online now is you can find people to share with, you know, a, a supportive group. Um, and you can also do your part and support others, which is what you're doing. And, you know, even yeah. creating your own space on Instagram, that's beautiful. Cause it gets you more of a, a chance to kind of share what you want to, um, share. And I think that's incredible. Um, yeah, uh, this has been a wonderful conversation, Patricia. And, you know, I really enjoyed a lot of it. Uh, most of well, all of it, and especially, you know, when you broke down your grief journey and just, talking about the relationship you had with your mother. You can tell there's a lot of love there and a lot of um, a real deep connection, you know, and, and you really helped us understand some of the aspects of a, a Jewish funeral, uh, sitting Shiva and and just the the walking us through that. Uh, and also your kind of, I guess, challenges involved in, in all of that. Um, and and then obviously the the beautiful dreams that you've shared with us. I think uh, it, it's incredible hearing some of those, and really vivid and and beautiful. And and I really love how they changed. I think that was really an important factor. Is that you know initially you did have some some uh, scary and, and you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: kind, of, kind of negative ones, but they changed. And and, and that that's such a they beautiful did. thing. That's such a beautiful thing to see. Um, and again, also how. You have this beautiful, I think, you know, you're right. It's, it's, uh, flexing a muscle in terms of, um, you know, setting up your, let's call it dream routine You mm-hmm. know, and having a, a journal and also being aware in the morning, not to kind of, you know you know, uh, get up right away or reach for your phone or, or anything like that. I think that that's important. And that's a really good lesson and tip, I think, for people who want to. A tip for myself as well. And maybe, maybe I should, you know, definitely keep that journal really close to my bed. But, yeah, thank you so much. Could you give us your Instagram and uh, maybe any other social media handles you'd like to share with everyone?
1: So my Instagram for um, the Grace account is called Neshama Journey. So neshama means soul in Hebrew, and it really came from me wanting to connect first to my own soul's purpose, and also to believe that I'll always be connected to my mom's soul. Like, although she has now her own journey in the other side, and her soul, you know, I want to believe her soul is still with us and will always be connected. So now each of us is on our own journey me in this realm and her and the other life but hopefully it's a journey that you know will always walk side by side
0: oh that's beautiful that's well wonderfully said and again um once again thank you so much for coming on and thank you for telling us about your life and your journey and your relationship with your mother and uh, thank you
1: for the opportunity and thank you for the platform and and as I said I have so many dreams I'm so happy that i'm able to talk about them because it's not something that i do share on my social media although i do write about some of them but i I don't share many of them
0: Mm. well hopefully this will stimulate you to possibly share more and or even ask uh, you know (laughs) people that you talk to if if they've had their dreams you never know you know you (laughs) you can really come across some impactful ones definitely all right, so everybody can please check out our platform at GriefDreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you wanted to contribute to our podcast, you can definitely do so. We've posted links on our website. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group. You can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams. And as always, we like to end our show with love and gratitude from us to you.